Welcome to the Pain-Free Zone. Your host, Nisi Edwards, is founder of the Fibro Patient Education and Support Organization, and she's here to offer help and hope to the millions of individuals who suffer from chronic pain. Now, here's Nisi Edwards. Welcome, everyone. I am your host, Nisi Edwards. Welcome to the Pain-Free Zone. And today's show, we have some special guests. We're talking about cannabis and what all that you need to know, medical cannabis. And on today's show, we have Joseph Freeman, registered pharmacist, MBA. He is the founding member and principal of Professional Dispensaries of Illinois, PDI Medical, LLC. From the moment Illinois Medical Cannabis Program was signed into law, he became deeply involved in a complex process of positioning himself to open one or more medical cannabis dispensaries in Illinois. This dispensary, PDI Medical, is very unique in that it is the only medical dispensary that has licensed healthcare providers working in it. We also have in the studio Paloma Garcia. She's a pharmacy student working with PDI Medical. So welcome, Joseph, and welcome, Paloma. Please introduce yourself. Thank you, Nisi. Uh, Paloma, go ahead and uh, let's let's uh, have the audience hear about um, you know what you're doing and, and your pharmacy school experiences. Sure, sure. So my name is Paloma Garcia. Um, I'm a fourth-year pharmacy student at Roosevelt University College of Pharmacy. During our last year, we go to different rotation sites where we can gain experience in different pharmacy fields. So I decided to choose medical marijuana as an elective because I feel it is a growing field in pharmacy and believe it could be a huge benefit to a vast majority of patients, especially in chronic pain. Great. Thank you. And my name is Joseph Friedman. Nisi, I appreciate the introduction. Uh, you know, as you mentioned, um, you know, PDI Medical, that's our dispensary in Buffalo Grove. Uh, we're very unique from the standpoint of, at least in Illinois, we are the only known medical cannabis dispensary that has healthcare professionals. So I'm a pharmacist, um, working with three different colleges of pharmacy. You've, uh, you know, just met, um, uh, Paloma, um, and we also have a, a nurse on staff on Mondays, and uh, that's what sort of sets us apart, and I'll explain why that does set us apart um, as we get further into this discussion. Well, welcome. Welcome, both of you. I'm so glad you're here. Medicinal marijuana is a topic that many of my listeners, as well as my customers, have reached out to me wanting to learn more about it. And um, I know some things about it. I don't know that much about it. So basically, you don't know what you don't know. <laughs> so that's why I'm glad that I have the uh, experts in the studio with me that can educate us on that. So when it comes down to medicinal marijuana, what is the difference between it and the marijuana on the street? Um, the way that I've explained it to people, and please correct me uh, if, if I'm wrong, because as I mentioned, I don't know a whole lot about this, but um, on the street, you really don't know what you're getting versus when you're working with the dispensary. The growing conditions is grown and is handled a certain type of way. That's totally different, um, safer. But I will let you tell me and the, and the rest of the audience. Sure, sure. And you know what, I think, you know, when you're um, getting it on the black market uh, and, you know, you, 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 sometimes you're dealing with unsavory people, sometimes not. But at the same time, you're, you're getting a baggie with some marijuana in it. And oftentimes you never know what you're getting. Now, 
you know, most of the time it's not going to hurt you, but there have been um, some reports about synthetic marijuana, um, you know, stuff that's made out of the stuff you get at Bed Bath & Beyond um, that has really been dangerous, and they call it synthetic marijuana. It's not really marijuana at all. It's... it's um, other other chemicals that can be very dangerous. But uh, going back to the street, what you get, um, again, um, in a dispensary, comparatively, you're going to be getting something that's going to um, have, for example, a food label on it. So we're going to have the entire cannabinoid profile, the ratios of the various um, you know, cannabinoids, whether it's sativa, indica, and I'll go into what that is all about. Um, so, And then if, if we find something that's working for you, we can get it again because the growers in Illinois um, very much like pharmaceutical manufacturers. I've toured several of them. Uh, very amazing organizations that are taking this very seriously. In fact, Illinois' medical cannabis program was ranked number one from um, the Americans for Safe Access group um, based on the quality of products that we have. No insect legs, um, heavy metals or pesticides are in our products. And so you know, we, we do have some uh, quality control issues, sometimes with the batteries and some of the other vape devices, but for the most part, the products are very good. So how does one get started? Uh, I know that you have to have um, a cannabis cart. There may be another term for it, a medical um, medicinal cart to purchase this. Right, right. The way this works in Illinois is um, it's a two-prong process. You have um, a physician certification, so your doctor has to go along with you. Now, this physician certification is a very simple form. It's actually located on our website. We have all the state forms on the PDI Medical website, um, and that's pdimedical.com. And this physician certification form... uh, it's three pages. The doctor fills out the patient's name, his information. He checks a box of the 41 boxes that are on there for the qualifying conditions. He signs it and sends it off to the Illinois Department of Public Health. The other side of this equation is the patient registration form. And this is where our dispensary, again, unique in what we do is we have all of the fingerprinting, passport, photo, services, and application information that a patient can just walk in you know, we'll actually make an appointment, walk in, and then we can guide them through the entire process that they, they need to do in order to submit their registration to the state. So is the state doing a background check? Yes, yes. The, you know, Illinois is the only state that requires fingerprinting, and so that is to do a criminal background check. We're trying to get that um, that removed because it's actually t- treating Illinois citizens like criminals, and you know we, that's just not necessary. And actually, you know, it's it's costly, so we just don't need to have fingerprinting. And hopefully, the next go around, we can eliminate that requirement. Okay, so once someone uh, completes the necessary paperwork and is submitted, uh, and comes back approved, typically, how long of a process is that? Well, when we first started the program, it was about 30 days. Um, but now, with the um, with the state getting backed up on on processing these registrations, uh, I'm telling patients it can take anywhere from 45 to 120 days. And you know, and that's that's tough when you're in pain. You don't want to wait four months to get relief. That's so true. So now, once it comes back, you approve. Um, what happens next? Um, the patients then make an appointment to go into the dispensary? Yeah, our dispensary, we've gotten a little bit on the busy side, but we want to make sure that we spend uh, quality time with each patient. So 
Um, when you get your card, uh, you call, you go on our website, you make an appointment, you come in. We have an intake form that you fill out that's very similar to what you would fill out when you go into a doctor's office. A lot of your information, demographics, um, your condition, your family history, your eating, your drinking habits, the medications that you're on, that's extremely important. We go through that uh, and, and point out, and we've pointed this out many times, where patients are experiencing side effects they weren't even aware was coming from the drugs they were taking. So uh, so we go through the medication list. We make sure that there's no drug interactions with cannabis in addition. And then we, I've spent up to two hours sitting down with patients, going through everything about them, and then giving them a comfort level, uh, going through uh, medical cannabis, the different routes of administration, um, the, the different uh, dosing algorithms, everything, so they can get very comfortable when they walk out with a couple of products. Joseph, what you all are doing is phenomenal because that is truly a value-added service that sets you apart from anyone else because to be able to do all that, that reassures the patient that they're in good hands. You know, to be able to look at that, to let them know, hey, these are some things you need to be aware of that may contradict, you know, and not work well with your meds, and just to be able to give them that reassurance that they're in good hands. And plus, having that medical background, you know, that's, in my opinion, sets you apart from many others. Thank you, Nisi. In fact, if you were to come into my dispensary today, you know, you might be a little bit concerned. You might be a little bit afraid. You know, what is this? You know, this is the stuff that I was smoking when I was, you know, in the in the 70s, this Woodstock. You know, we have a lot of people that come in that have this um, fear of it. And so sitting down with someone who's knowledgeable, um, you know, and I think pharmacists are generally very knowledgeable, you know, sets those fears at bay. And when we push through the stigma and we actually get into the idea of providing a benefit for these patients. Now, for patients who may not want to smoke it or vape it, what are some other options? You know, that's a great point that you bring up, Nisi. And in fact, um, there was a recent article that came out um and it, it's it's coming from the National Academies of Science, Engineering, and Medicine, and they've reviewed about 10,000 articles and studies dedicated to medical cannabis and made the most important co- conclusions. You know, one of those conclusions, and to your point, Nisi, is smoking is not for everyone. Um, people who have genetic predispositions to schizophrenia or suffer from social anxiety um, that must consult their doctor before smoking. Uh, that's a good idea. So, you know, in our dispensary, and I'm going to you know, give you a point here, we actually had um, um, a representative from a company that makes uh, patches, these transdermal patches. And and uh, they said, oh, you know, what is, what is your, um, uh, you know, percentage of products that you dispense? You know, what, what do you do here? And so we, we produced a list, and our percentage of the combustible, the smoking products, is was much lower than all the other dispensaries that he visited. Because what we do in our dispensary is we recommend vaporization, we recommend edibles, we recommend tinctures that go in, and oils that go into the tongue. We have transdermal patches, a lot of other products, so you don't have to smoke it in order to use it. So what basically is the difference between the... The smoking um, and the vaping. I've seen um, a lot of those places just when I just drive by in some communities where they have the vape shops. So how does that work? 
Well, you know, smoking and, and this is we people have been smoking cannabis for thousands of years. Okay, that's combustion. You know, the idea of combustion is you're burning something. So, you know, vaporization is the idea of raising the temperature to the boiling point of the plant material or the oil and then inhaling the vapors that come off of that. So you're not getting the soot and the hydrocarbons that come from combustion. Now, you can also vaporize the plant material. So at the end of the day, you have browned out flour rather than ashes. So it's it's a lot safer, and, and, and it's also um, you know much easier to tolerate because it's not as harsh when you're vaporizing versus combusting. And in terms, which works faster? They both work the same. Both work the same. In inhalation, you can get an effect within five seconds. Okay. So what about, um, and this is one of the, and I'm so glad you all are here because this is one of the questions that people have asked me. So let's say someone new, they um, go to the dispensary and um, they get the medicinal marijuana and then they're concerned about if their employer does any type of drug screening, you know, what's going to happen next. So, for example, I know that depending upon the industry and your work, oftentimes new employees, you know, it's typical that you get a drug screening, you know, in the beginning before you even start some jobs. And you get the drug screening, all is fine. Then let's say you start the route of the medicinal marijuana. And for whatever reason, let's say that they do um, uh, a random screening for whatever reason. And you already have your cannabis card. That should protect you, shouldn't it? Not necessarily. No, no, no. no. A lot of a lot of organizations have zero um Drug tolerance policies, and in fact, um, just you know, earlier this year on Channel Two News, one of our patients was interviewed. This patient, uh, he's a he's an engineer, but he's somewhat retired. He still wanted to work. He went to Home Depot. He applied for a job. He was conditionally accepted, um, and he knew that you know he was going to pee in a cup, and he was going to fail that. But he didn't mention anything about his medical cannabis card. And of course, you know, when the results came in from that test, he was told, I'm sorry, you know, that job is no longer, you know, uh, for you. You know, we're, we're denying that. And so he called up, um, you know, all the TV stations and Channel 2, um, Dorothy, I forgot her last name, the newscaster. Tillman? Tillman, yes. Yeah, yes, yes. She, she took on the case and um, he was interviewed and he said, you know, the state gave me this right to take this medicine. And here's Home Depot saying I can't work there because of something that was given. So, so, so he was interviewed, and then Home Depot went back, and they, I think, they revised their policy on this. Um, and they should because he's taken it because he has a medical condition that's warranted, and then to you know he wants to be functioning like everyone else to be able to have employment, and I don't feel that there is anything wrong with that. I, I think you know, we're at the inflection point of history, and this is slowly changing. It's not changing fast enough, but in time, it will. Cannabis will no longer be something that an employer will say, "Well, it's it's you know it's in your blood or it's in your urine, and you no longer have a job here." I think when it possibly will change when those that are in those positions or authority start experiencing some of these health challenges themselves, and then they start seeking those options, and then maybe then they will. Look at things from a different perspective. Right. I mean, you know, people take a lot of heavy-duty narcotics and they go to work. And That's true. Sometimes accidents happen, and you know, there's there's issues. So, you know, why would this be any different? 
That, that, that's true. That's very much true. Okay. So you go to the, so what I've always been curious about, and uh, I'm going to have to bring my, my camera crew actually with me into your dispensary to see what that looks like firsthand. So you, you walk in there and there's someone to, to work with you. So when you first go into the dispensary, mainly yours, you may not know where you want to start. And that's where you come in and you will educate the patients as to what their options are. Yes, yes. As I explained, they fill out an intake form. We sit down, we go in a room, we close the door, and the, you know the comfort level increases as the patient gets information and, and gets a, an idea of you know how this is going to benefit them. Plus, we have something that no other dispensary has. You know, want to want to know what that is, Nisi? Yes, I do. It's a uh, two-year-old golden retriever. His birthday is tomorrow. <laughs> He's been coming in since he was a puppy. He's an emotional support dog, and um, people who like dogs fall in love with our emotional support dog. Oh, I think that is so awesome. You know, my first experience with uh, emotional support dog was several years ago when I had surgery, and uh, they would bring two of the dogs, you know, on the surgical floor. And it was very relaxing, very comforting. Well, we have that, and uh, his name is Jackson, and um, I I, I welcome the patients to come in and meet Jackson. Okay, you all heard that. I want you to stop by and meet Jackson, and also check out the pharmacy uh, to get the assistance that you need. Okay, so tell me about uh, some of the other products. We talked about um, the the smoking. We talked about the vaping, and... um, you have edibles as well? Sure. We've got milk chocolates, dark chocolates, gummies. Um, we've got Listerine mints that go under the tongue. We've got coffee. We've got tea, <laughs> pretzels, cookies. We've, we've got cannabis and a lot of different edible formats. Did you say tea? Yes. How does that work? Uh, we have a powder that's cannabis, and you, you basically mix it in with water, and you wind up with tea. And with the coffee? Same thing. We've got K-cups, K-cups that are cannabis K-cups. Oh, wow. So you can have your Keurig and <laughs> that's, that's amazing. You can. And, and what's nice about this route of administration, it doesn't taste like cannabis. I mean, most of it doesn't. Um, you know, in fact, there's one grower who um, brought on um, Mindy Siegel, who's a, a James Beard Award uh, dessert chef winner. And so she came on board. She's got a, um, a restaurant called um, Hot Chocolate in, in Wicker. Um, Wicker, uh, Wicker Park. Wicker Park, thank you. <laughs> um, and and so, so Mindy Siegel was very demanding on, she wanted to make sure that her edibles did not taste like you were licking your front lawn. And so the very, very strict uh, criteria, and her edibles are wonderful. Okay. Are there any um, bombs or lotions? Yes, yes. We've got topicals. We've got creams. If you've got local um, pain, we've got uh, some cannabinoid-infused creams and lotions. Uh, we also have, as I mentioned before, patches. These are patches that are transdermal. And what's beautiful about these patches, it's 100% bioavailable. Okay, well, what does that mean? Well, that means that you know when you're you know inhaling anything or taking any edibles, you're losing something through respiration or digestion. Um, with these patches, these transdermal patches, Whatever you put on is going into your system. Now, what will you smell like? Because that's another question. Are you going to smell like marijuana or is it a different scent? You're not going to smell like marijuana. Um, you know, When you walk into my dispenser, you'll be pretty surprised that it doesn't smell like anything. You know, Joseph, what I really would like to do is to take 
members of my support group and bring them to your dispensary because they need to be educated. Absolutely. I think that's a great idea. And, you know, maybe we should talk about how um, cannabis can benefit your your group. Yes. Um, so my group is about uh, fibromyalgia as well as ankylosing spondylitis. And uh, this information is not something that we readily get from our physicians. And I don't really think that they know much about it. Um, so... Tell us some more about it. Well, what I'd like to do is is put uh, Paloma on. Um, she's been kind of quiet, but at the yes. same time, <laughs> you know, Paloma is a fourth-year pharmacy student. She is uh, a lot smarter than I am as far as current um, drugs that are available and pharmacology and all that. So, Paloma, why don't you talk about, you know, what's currently available for fibro patients, and then we'll get into cannabis. Okay, Paloma, you're up. <laughs> so... Right now, the FDA-approved medications um, for fibromyalgia is Cymbalta, Lyrica, and Savella. And my main concern is that a lot of these medications do cause um, adverse drug reactions that can actually harm the patient. They, like you were mentioning, the, some of the side effects that you find in patients that are coming into the dispensary um, don't even realize that these drugs are causing these um, side effects. So, for example, Cymbalta, you have to be monitoring now your blood pressure because and can cause a decrease in the blood pressure. You might also, you often might have to start monitoring the blood glucose levels because it can increase your glucose levels. And now you might be, you know, might be rest for diabetes. For um, Savella, again, that you have that uh, blood pressure monitoring that you have to do as well as the blood glucose levels. It can also have some impact on your mood and behavior. And, you know, that kind of goes, you know, it, um, that kind of affects your quality of life then in that regard. And then for Lyrica, one of the things that can happen with your taking Lyrica is that weight gain. So if you're having pain and you're gaining this weight, maybe that would actually worsen your condition. And, you know, Paloma, you raise a really good point because most of the women that I've spoken with, weight gain has been a big factor for them, you know, because mm-hmm. sometimes you feel bloated. And you look bloated mm-hmm. and, you know, um, my weight has increased. Um, I have actually been prescribed Lyrica and Cymbalta. Mm-hmm. Um, it d- did not work for me. Um, I'm also type 2 diabetic. So when it comes down to glucose, that's a big problem for me. Uh, and also, it's just the way that it made me feel. Um, it's hard to describe. The best way to, to um, describe it is to say it didn't make me feel better. Uh, oftentimes it made me feel worse, but I, I do understand that for some people it may work, but for many it may not work. Exactly. And then the other thing with these medications is also the adherence. For example, Lyrica, you have to take it twice a day. I'm sure you remember that. Yes. So having to even remember that, um, as well with Savello, you have to take that twice a day. And there's also a titration schedule to... Um, very true. So... I think I think what we're what we're seeing, and I think we're all familiar with this, and especially everyone that's listening, is you know you see these commercials on TV for medications for drugs, yes, prescription drugs, it's a lot of them. And so you know there's a lot of wonderful things at the very beginning, and then they then they spend three minutes talking about all the bad things that can happen with these medications because they're supposed to say that. Well, imagine if there was a commercial for cannabis um, on that. Okay, so it's going to help you with your pain. It's going to help you with your with your depression. Uh, and then here's the side effects. It's going to you know, maybe increase your appetite. It's going to make you euphoric. It's going to make you happier. Um, you know, 
the idea of cannabis use in fibromyalgia for ankylosing spondylitis for a lot of these types of conditions um, is can, can be very beneficial. You know, we would sit down with patients. Um, we take a look at the the different uh, species, sativa versus indica. Sativa is more daytime, indica is more nighttime. And then we took a look at the cannabinoid profile, the THC. That's what's psychoactive. CBD makes up about 40% of the plant. That is non-psychoactive, but is but CBD or cannabidiol is anti-inflammatory and neuroprotective. So we've got this 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 one-two punch with THC addressing pain directly, and then CBD working as an anti-inflammatory agent. And so it can be very beneficial for patients that have inflammation and pain. That's very true because. Um as a fibromyalgia, I refer to myself as a fibromyalgia warrior. When you start with these various drugs, whether it's Cymbalta, Lyrica, Savella, no matter what it is, in my experience, sometimes, you know, with your central nervous system, it seems like no matter what you eat, no matter what meds you take, your system, you're just so sensitive to everything. And so... The doctors have very good intentions. They prescribe different meds, hoping that it's going to work. Sometimes it seems like it's the um, spaghetti effect. You know, you keep throwing at it, throwing things at it, seeing what's going to stick, what's going to work. Then you get to a point where nothing works. I remember at times where, let's say I saw the doctor today, this month, and I was on Cymbalta. That didn't work. I started having complications. Okay, You've already spent money for the drug, right? Then they say, okay, here's a new script for Lyrica. Then that doesn't work. Then they give you something else. Well, while all this is happening, my body is going through so many different changes, and I start feeling various ways. Uh, Besides the weight gain, if you're dealing with depression, um, Mm -hmm. that's an issue, or it creates problems with sleep. Uh, I remember with Lyrica, I had a problem with sleep. And, you know, the doctor would say, well, that shouldn't impact your sleep. Everyone, how do I want to say this? Um, Everyone's body is unique in that what works for you may not work for me, Mm -hmm. you know. And even if you do uh, discontinue the Lyrica, that actually will cause the insomnia that you're experiencing. Yes. And then (laughs) when that happens, then it's something else to help with the sleep. Right, then you have to add another medication. And another, and another. Exactly. I always, I always like to say that medicine is art is an art, it's not an exact science. And so, you know, with medical cannabis, you know, it, it's, it's a little bit of trial and error. What we try to do is minimize the error and get to a benefit a lot faster, and that's the model that we have at PDI Medical in Buffalo Grove, is we sit down and patients walk out with products that we're confident are going to work for them. Sometimes it doesn't. And so when they come back, we tweak that. Good. Now, um, there are some myths about cannabis. Can you share some of those with us? I know you were sharing with me an article. Um, Where are my notes? Oh. Well, maybe not myths, some things you need to know. Um, Well, I think, you know, there's, you know, the proponents out there, it may, may be a little bit too zealous on, you know, this is the best thing since sliced bread. It's the silver bullet. It cures cancer and all that. We have to moderate that with, with the reality of what this really is. But then you have 
the opponents, the people that are mm-hmm. dead set against you know marijuana in any form, saying it's a gateway drug, it's highly addictive. You know, we have to look at this in a very scientific manner. Cannabis is not a benign drug. There are certainly some issues with it. We want to keep it out of the hands of children. I mean, developing brains should not be exposed to this unless, of course, there's a condition that requires it. Um, but at the same time, in a regulated system, we can effectively dose cannabis so it's going to be helpful rather than harmful. And then the harmfulness of it, no one has ever died on an overdose of marijuana. I mean, you'd have to, I remember hearing something about you would have to smoke like, like 10,000 joints in 15 minutes in order to just give yourself <laughs> a bad, a bad day. So, so the idea that this, you know, can be dangerous is, is, is ludicrous. Um, but at the same time, we, we want to be careful. We don't want anyone to get high or have a bad day. We want to carefully, you know, dose that so that doesn't happen. So how do you store the cannabis when you get home? Well, Nisi, if you have young children at home, um, I work with the Stand Strong organization in Lake County, and that's an, a group that's um, substance abuse and youth. Uh, we have Stand Strong um, uh, containers that lock. So if you have small children at home, we give you one of these containers. As far as storing it in general, um, all the products in Illinois that we have to dispense are not refrigerated. So there are no special uh, storage requirements. Okay. We just want to make sure we keep it out of the hands of kids. And what should one look for in a dispensary? Your dispensary sounds amazing. Um, but for people, let's just say, um, who are not local, you know, to Illinois, who are wondering, hey, that sounds awesome. You know, what should they be looking for? Well, look for people that are, are knowledgeable um, you know, certainly, you know, knowing about marijuana is one thing. Having some, uh, you know, a background and a skill set in healthcare is something that's a lot better, I think. Um, but you know, a lot of most of the dispensaries that you walk in in Illinois are nice. I mean, they have to be. You know, we were we were required by the state to build very nice facilities, and the people that are staffing them are nice as well. But you know, one of the things, and I think I mentioned this at the beginning, is I have patients that are switching from other dispensaries to ours because that nice dispensary that they walked into and said, hey, man, try some of this, bud. It's really good for pain. Well, you know, that wasn't exactly the right way to do it. And we've actually had some patients that have had bad experiences. And so when they come to us, we, we, we address that and we get them started the right way. And I, I feel that you all are unique and you can do that because you have the training, the background, the education as pharmacists. You know, and you're not going to get that in many of these other dispensaries. None of them. I know some people who have gone to some of the various dispensaries. I won't call any names. And uh, I've asked them, you know, what was your experience like? Tell me. And they said, well, I've gone in there and, you know, I've had the chance to experiment. And, and I one thing that was often missing for me was I wondered, well, there was no one to guide you, you know, to pretty much handhold you to give you an idea as to where you need to start. And from their experience, they tried different things, and nothing really worked, and it wasn't a good experience. Well, and, and that's why we have Paloma on board, and we have yes. other pharmacy students on board, because you know she brings that expertise, that, that crisp new information. So when we sit down, we're going to be a tag team. When patients are sitting there, I'm going to know all about cannabis. I know about drugs as well, but Paloma really knows about drugs. So, Paloma, tell me about... Um, your experience working with a lot of these patients because um, you're 
a young woman, very knowledgeable, educated woman that with a lot of college students, number one, they're going to feel very comfortable with you. Right. And that's, I think, is key is making them feel comfortable, because like you mentioned in the beginning, a lot of these patients are they're wondering, is this even the right way or the right path? Um, But like if they tried other medications and that's failed, well, why not improve the quality of life of these patients? Why not try to find different ways to possibly help them, benefit them? And a lot of that comes with making them feel comfortable. And um, and it's hard because the literature is very limited. Again, it's a controlled one substance, so it's almost considered unethical to perform, like to even do studies on, on this um, on the cannabis, because um, just like you wouldn't find a lot of studies on um, pregnant women or a lot of studies on babies, it's unethical. Yes. But um, there's there is some literature supporting um, the use of um, cannabis as well. Um, one of the articles that I read up upon before the talk show um, was uh, titled Cannabis Use in Patients with Fibromyalgia Effect on Symptoms Relief and Health-Related Quality of Life. And so then what they found was that after two hours of um, cannabis use, there was a statistically significant uh, reduction of pain stiffness, enhancements of relax- relaxation, an increase in somnolence, and, fe- excuse me, and feeling of well-being. So with that, like, you know, presenting this to the patients, I think that helps also make them feel more comfortable. Yes, because many uh, college students, they have a chronic pain, a chronic illness, just like anyone else. Mm-hmm. And they need some support as well. Exactly. I mean, it's a lot of sitting down. And, yes. you know, and so I could just, I mean, I've been through it. I would have back pain from just sitting and studying all day. Yes. So, um, you know, and you know, if it's something like more youthful, then they say, oh, they see, a, you know, I'm still relatively young, so... Um, and gets that comfort feeling with, uh, now, with other patients. on the um, college campuses, are dispensaries able to advertise, you know, or put up flyers to let students know that there is a help available? Advertising is uh, you know, something that is starting to happen, but you wouldn't, you're not going to see billboards up on the highway advertising right. medical mm-hmm. cannabis at this point. I've been in touch with some of the newspapers as far as putting ads in, and now for the first time, I can do that. Um, Facebook, if you want to go ahead and promote your dispensary on Facebook, you better not talk about products and pricing. You can talk about how this is good for fibromyalgia patients, but you can't do any promotional work on, on Facebook. Uh, and then there's, there's one, um, there's this doctor out there, he wrote a book called Stone, David Cassaret. And, uh, if anyone is familiar with, uh, TED Talks, well, there's yes. an offshoot of TED Talks called TED Med. And uh, if you Google um, Dr. David Cassaret, um, a doctor's case for medical marijuana, uh, and 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 on on TED Med, it's an amazing 12 minutes of 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 conversation. He starts off and talks about um, you know the most embarrassing moment in his medical career was when a patient of his who had stage four cancer. She's 70 years old. She was a retired English professor. Said, Doctor, do you believe that there's any benefit to medical marijuana. And the doctor said, well, based on what I know and what I learned in medical school, no, I don't believe there is any benefit. And then this this little old lady just opened up her briefcase and said, well, I think you ought to see this. And she had <laughs> about a dozen different uh, um, placebo-controlled double-blind clinical studies, not from this country, but from Israel and other countries, and said, you know, I think you ought to see this. And so, you know, the doctor was amazed, and, and he went on his own, um, you know, project to learn about this, and he wrote a book called Stoned. So I, I highly recommend it. 
Okay, I wrote that down, and the author is David Cassarat. Mm-hmm. Dr. David Cassarat. Cassarat. Okay. Now, Paloma, I know that on the, in the college campuses you have students that have disabilities, and I know that some of the campuses have some departments that work especially with students with disabilities. Have you been in contact with any of them, sharing and providing information? So, um, actually, um, on the media side of Roosevelt University College of Pharmacy, they reached out to me because, as well as the other student who was on rotation here, because um, they wanted to find out more information why we decided to go um, to take this as an elective. And um, they were actually looking to do a a newsletter article in the Chicago Tribune about it. So I'm looking forward to see um, see that hopefully soon. So why did you decide to go into this as a specialty? I mean, I think it's a fascinating um, new field in pharmacy. It's growing. It's, And I do believe there is a benefit. And I just think the only reason why we, have, we haven't seen it 100% yet is because we can't produce that literature. And that's the only reason why, as a medical professor, um, professional, that um, People might, uh, we might be hesitant to recommend it, but I mean, based on what I've read and what I've um, seen, I think there is benefit to it. I mean, the patients, if, if, if it's working for them, why not? Many, many years ago, um, my father, he died of lung cancer. Mm-hmm. He was um, a heavy smoker. And um, when he first started having symptoms, they said that he had bronchitis. And um, he had a cough, just would never stop. And I kept pressing my father to get a second opinion. And when he did, that's when they discovered that it was lung cancer and not bronchitis. And they gave him less than three months to live. I mean, we just literally went from one day to him having a cough, a month later still having a cough, not getting any better, to finding out, bam, you have lung cancer. So it metastasized. Uh, to his eye, to his brain, he eventually lost sights in his uh, right eye. And I think back to what that experience was like, not having the support, him being on chemotherapy as well as radiation therapy, that it would have been nice, you know, for him to have access to this type of help, you know, today, mm-hmm. how it could have really possibly changed the outcome for him. The, um, the 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 TED Med talk by David Cassarette, his his over um, overwhelming opinion is that the reason why people use cannabis is to improve their quality of life. Yes, and I have a very good friend who um, has she has cancer. Um, the form of cancer she has is colon cancer, and um, she is I think in probably early forties. And um, she was not at the age where they do the screening, you know, yet for, you know, the colonoscopy. Because I think that's at age 50, if I'm not mistaken. And so she's a younger woman and she was diagnosed with colon cancer and she's in the final stages of her life. And this is, you know, it's just so sad because I feel that um, medicinal cannabis can help so many people and that the stigma needs to be removed because a lot of people due to the stigma are not getting the help that they need. You know, they face stigma, their own stigma, as to, okay, I'm going to use um, marijuana to the stigma of family and friends, to the stigma of, um, you know, their employers that is really preventing a lot of people from 
taking matters to their own hands and getting some help. And so for my show and the people that I come into contact with, the discussions that I've had with them is, you know what? Um, instead of trying opioids and all these other drugs, try this instead. You know, what, you know, you can, you have a lot more to gain with your health, your quality of life, you know, try it. Actually, I've told many of them, I recommend that you try this first before you go that route. Because I have a lot of people in my support groups whom have been on these drugs for so long, Paloma, that now they've started getting an addiction. Mm-hmm. And that's a whole nother ball game because then the doctor whom they had been seeing for many, many years no longer wants to see them. And I've had the um, the opposite experience in that, um, Joseph, I've had uh, many doctors who have told me, OK, you have fibromyalgia. It's not getting any better. This is what you need to do beyond opioids. And I've been the one saying, Paloma, no, I don't want to do that. And it was. Oh, about a year and a half ago, I had a disagreement with the pain management specialist because her exact words were, Nisi, you need to learn how to embrace the use of opioids. And here I am, the one saying, no, I don't want to go that route. Right. It's like it's your body. You get yes. to decide what you want to put in on it. And going back to those patients who had developed the addiction, well, what really is the gateway drug then? Right. Like, you know, yes, there's no... I, from my experience, I have not seen someone actually truly be addicted to marijuana. And I'm not a pharmacist, but I just don't feel that uh, marijuana is the, the gateway drug that's causing the problems that we're seeing today in it's, this country. It's more of an exit drug. And, yes. And with the, with the opioid epidemic that we have going on, yes. there is a lot of, well, in fact, uh, there was a study that was done in the states that currently had medical cannabis laws that opioid deaths were down almost 25% in those states. Um, and so there's, there's something to this. And, um, you know, and of course there's, <laughs> there, there's, there's an individual who, uh, who runs a substance abuse organization in, in Naperville who just says, well, that, that's coincidental. It was probably, um, you know, doctors and, and then their, their, um, adjustment to dispensing less opioids. Well, you know that's that's where mm. the where the opponents to this are saying, well, it's not cannabis. Cannabis can't be helpful, and uh, it's got to be something else. So how do they know it can't be helpful? You know, I think a lot of times <laughs> people are so set in their ways, and again, yes. like the the literature, it's limited because um, it is a C one um, drug, so it's hard to do um, different research on this medication. But I think as time goes on, people are going to be more open to it. Um, and, you know, hopefully change the mind of those who are, grew up thinking that, you know, illegal, not helpful, it's drug of the 70s, and that's it, and leave it in the past. Mm-hmm. And, and you know what, there's, there's, I've got, I've got many, many cancer patients at PDI Medical, and, um, you know, what we do is we sit them down and we say, okay, there's two roads we're going to travel down here. One is palliative care, so... Mm-hmm. If you're getting chemotherapy, let's not stop that because your doctor feels that right. that's something that. But and, and so there's pain, you know, there's nausea, diarrhea, vomiting from that. They feel lousy, so cannabis can help with that. Okay, um, and then there's the other side where there's growing science that's showing cannabis actually kills cancer cells. But I don't want to, you know, set the expectation too high on that. I want to say, 
you know, let's let's talk about that. We can flood your system with cannabinoids. I, I understand what the dosing would be over a, over a 90-day period. We want to you know, get it up to about 60 grams, and then let's take a look at the CAT scans and see if we have any improvement as far as the tumor growth goes. But um, this is something that's not going to hurt patients. It can only help them. And, in fact, cannabis actually works very well with some of the chemotherapeutic agents like alkylating agents. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we get into that, and then we help the patient every way we can. Well, there definitely uh, needs to be a mindset change. And um, one of the questions I, I want to ask you is, I don't know if you can answer this today, but um, should um, medicinal cannabis patients be afraid that um, legislation is going to be passed where um, they're not going to be able to get access to it anymore? Because I know in Washington there's been some talk about um, marijuana you know, not being beneficial. So I'm just kind of wondering about that when it comes down to Jeff Sessions and his views on cannabis. Should cannabis patients be worried? Well, you know, that's a great point, Nisi. And, and you know, we recently um, our Attorney General Jeff Sessions rescinded what was called the Cole Memorandum, which protected um, uh, cannabis organizations throughout the country. Um, but what was not rescinded is the um, the Far Blumenauer Amendment um, that protects medical marijuana dispensaries. So, so in other words, the idea is that that the federal government can't spend money on going after um, dispensaries and cultivation centers. But um, but if Jeff Sessions were to uh, have any kind of effect, it would probably be on the states that currently have adult use or recreational programs. Okay. Um, Illinois, uh, we're, we're going to be the, <laughs> the, the, the last state that, that, that ever gets looked at because of how regulated we are yes. and how strict it is here. So I wouldn't worry about anyone in Illinois. Or no one in Illinois should worry about this. Okay. Well, that, that that's good to know because uh, that's been a question that people have raised. You know, oh, my goodness, you know, if this changes, what are we going to do now? Are we going to go back to, you know, opioids? What are we going to do? You know, so, um, so Paloma, tell me other things about um, your work uh, in this area because um, I feel, again, you're going to benefit so many younger people, you know, to help them. So a lot of it is also just promoting the use of um, cannabis because... Um, like even my father, he has, um, knee pain and he has arthritis in his knee and it actually, and he's a golfer, so it limits him. It helps, it, um, he just turned 72, so it was, you know, his quality of life because of his knee pain is, um, you know, it's just not, um, he's not having, he's not able to golf as well as he would like to due to that. And, um, he tried the corticosteroid shots, um, he's tried just, um, of different ointments and one of the things I want to like promote to him is you know how um, Joseph mentioned um, the use of different ointments that have the um, medical marijuana and yes. I you know I'm recommending to him why don't you try going that route why don't you talk to your doctor about that I mean I've seen it actually being beneficial to some of the patients so if it's helping them it might help him as well and I'm confident that I don't think it's, you know, it's, this is my father. So I wouldn't want to, you know, give him anything I think would potentially harm him. Harm him. And that's, you know. Absolutely, because you want the very best for his, you know, exactly. overall well-being. So the way my whole mentality is, so based on that, other patients, I look at them as their family member as well. I wouldn't want to cause them harm either. What, you know, would, what would I recommend if, it, in fact, was my mother sitting in front of me or my father sitting in front of me? And, um, you know, I think that it could be helpful for my father. 
So therefore, I think it would um, be helpful for these patients as well. And just really promoting the benefits of it and how, um, you know, I'm, one of the things I want to do is collect um, data on some of the patients with their consent and possibly present it um, at some point. And, you know, one of the things that I think is important here is if, if you're out there in the audience and you're listening to this this uh, broadcast, well, you know, how, how do I talk to my doctor about this? Um, what if my doctor says no? Okay. I mean, I, we hear these stories all the time. And so what we have on our website, pdimedical.com, pdimedical.com, uh, is a physician directory. And that physician directory lists about um, 8 or 12 doctors that are cannabis friendly. And so we can't, um, we, we, as a dispensary, we cannot refer a patient to a doctor, but these doctors, we have no affiliation with them whatsoever. They wanted to be listed on our website and have patients um, call them because they'll, they'll work with these patients. And that was a question I was going to ask you because uh, many of my doctors have never ever mentioned to me anything about um, medicinal cannabis, you know, is always all the other things, the opioids. And so what I often wonder is having that conversation with them. Is it simply a matter of saying, hey, you know, we've tried so many different things. I now want to try this. So um, if the doctor doesn't want to go that route, then I can just go on your website and look at that listing and make an appointment with one of those healthcare practitioners. Exactly. Exactly. And go from there. Yeah, and, and the doctor, you know, may not want to stick his neck out um, and and get and in, I understand. Get, yes, get get into this. You know, maybe they've got some guys in suits that are or over the organization where the doctor works and said you cannot certify any patient. So, you know, doctors have have to adhere to that. And so, I don't fault any doctor that won't do this. You just have to find a doctor that will. I agree. And, you know, if it may be also something they're not comfortable with or they don't know enough about it, you know, to even go that route. But there's always alternatives, you know, other positions out there. Exactly. And then we can always, um, if they come into our dispensary, we can always, um, they can tell us a little bit about their um, um, health history and then we can provide recommendations, and they can bring that name to their doctor and see, you know, what the doctor has to say about that. One thing that we do, and, and I don't think any dispensary, either dispensary is doing this, is we have this triangle of care, doctor, patient, dispensary, and pharmacist. And so oftentimes when I have the patient sitting there, and oftentimes it might be a mom with a 10-year-old who's got a seizure disorder or has Crohn's, the doctor wants to be involved with what we're doing at the dispensary. And so I can talk to doctors and you know, we can have an intelligent discussion and get on the same page as far as the therapy and the things and, and, and the outcomes that we're, we're trying to, to, to achieve. That's a, a, oh, thanks for mentioning that because uh, that's something that patients need to be aware of that, you know what, hey, you know, the PDI medical, they can also have conversations with your physicians, consultations, so that everyone knows what the plan of treatment is and can monitor your overall, your, your overall well-being. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ultimately, that's the end goal, improving patients' health. That's true. Now, um, Joseph, one thing that I was wondering about is we talked about uh, fibromyalgia and we talked a little bit about ankylosing spondylitis. What about uveitis, um, the eye condition, the inflammation? Can cannabis uh, potentially help with that as well? Well, you know, cannabis is anti-inflammatory. It's neuroprotective. Um, we don't have an eye drop yet. Um, and then, so, so the idea of, of cannabis working for uveitis, um, I, I haven't heard anything about that. I would probably want to do some research. 
Okay. It is an indicator for glaucoma. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the unfortunate thing about that is you'd have to be using it 24-7 in order to lower your intraocular pressure. And there's good drugs on the market that, unless they're failing, you know, can, can accomplish that. And what is the difference between um, medicinal cannabis and hemp? Hemp is um, mostly very little THC, a lot of CBD, cannabidiol, uh, but but hemp is used. It's been used for centuries for making sails and ropes and kitty litter, and it's it's an industrial product. And I believe um, there's a lot of bills out there in Kentucky and other states that are that are allowing hemp to be grown for um, the production of all, all of these industrial kinds of uses. In fact. Um, you know, uh, you know, back in the 17th century, I mean, hemp was was a was a major crop in the U.S. That's true. Uh, way back when, yes. So, how many um, dispensaries, uh, cannabis dispensaries, are there about in Illinois? Well, there's supposed to be 60. There's currently 53 operating. I don't think there's going to be any more during this pilot program. And yes, this is a pilot program in Illinois. The lights could go out on this program if we don't have legislation to keep it going after July of 2020. Um, but you know, I just want to comment that we've got a governor who hasn't been very supportive of the program. That's true. Unfortunately, uh, Bruce Rauner has uh, you know, been negative to this program from every aspect. And, and not, I'm not trying to dis, you know, uh, our governor, but at the same time, you know, why would he deny conditions like chronic pain or irritable bowel syndrome or migraine, you know, repeatedly? So. Um, so when this program comes up for expiration or its sunset date, you know, I think we're probably going to have a, um, well, we're, I always say we're one governor away from having a good program here in Illinois. So what can patients do to support that initiative? Does it need to be done in the form of a move-on campaign? Does it need to be um, reaching out to a congressman and a congresswoman stating, hey, you know, we, we want this to stay in Illinois? Well, you know, that's a great point. I, I think in the General Assembly, um, the vast majority of senators and representatives are for medical cannabis in Illinois. So, um, you know, I, I think, you know, the, the constituents, you know, the, the people that have these, these underlying conditions can certainly write their congressmen or write their representatives. I think they're already on board. We just have to have a governor that's not. Yes, and more people... Um my personal opinion, really need to get on board with this because this is far better than getting strung out on really hardcore opioids and other drugs out there on the street. And what my concern is with many of the people that I serve is if they find themselves in a situation where they're just totally cut off from their opioids, that's going to lead to other things. Because when you get desperate, you know, and you just feel that, hey, I got to have something. I've got to do something. I've never been in that situation, but I know people who have. And that's a legitimate concern of theirs. And, and you know, one of the other points I wanted to make is um, we have a lot of patients that are coming in and they're getting off of their benzos and their opioids. Um, in fact, uh, you know, I, I see a pain doctor about once once a month. Um, I've got a little uh, spinal stenosis. But anyways, I, I was in the waiting room and I was talking to the receptionist about, you know, the, the dispensary. And there was a patient that overheard the conversation. And when I sat down, um, this patient, um, Michael, just said, hey, did I overhear you have a dispensary? I said, yeah. And so we talked and he became a patient of mine. And just recently, and this was about six months ago, just recently, Michael, he's this big, burly guy. He just said, Joe, 
you changed my life. Um, I used to take 120 Norco a month. Now I maybe take 120 a year. And, uh, and I was afraid he was going to hug me because, you know, he, I think he's that big and powerful. But at the same time, it was very humbling and it felt great that, um, that I was able to help this individual. That's awesome. Uh, on my website, um, I have, um, a legal corner. Uh, I have two, uh, attorneys that write a column and, um, Ed Farmer and, uh, John McGrail. They both specialize in social security disability. One works specifically, um, with veterans because he's a vet and that is, um, attorney Ed Farmer. Well, one of them also wrote an article about medicinal cannabis and the benefits of it. And what I'm going to do due to all the information that you've shared here today is be doing more blogging on our website about the benefits of cannabis and, you know, letting everyone know, because we also have a resource page, Joseph. And on our resource page, I'm going to add your company to that page to let people know, hey, this is a resource. You need to check it out. Great. And one of the things about being a veteran is um, you don't have to get a physician certification. There's a form. It's a DD-214 form. Um, there's, you know, I'm sure most veter- veterans are familiar with this form. That that basically is your um, your 12 month history of 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 of, of at, at the hospital at the VA hospital that could be in place of having a doctor having to do a certification. So that's what veterans can do. Okay. Well, we're just about out of time, Joseph and Paloma. Let everyone know where you're located. Yes, PDI Medical uh, Professional Dispensary of Illinois is located at 1623 Barclay, B-A-R-C-L-A-Y Boulevard. And that's in Buffalo Grove, um, right by the Lincolnshire uh, Theater. Uh, And our phone number is 224-377-9PDI or 9734. Paloma, do you have any closing remarks you would like to add? Um, yes, I do. So I ultimately, I just want um, patients to know that there is other alternatives um, that can be beneficial, and it's worth a try because you're already going through all, um, if, you're, if you're already having that decreased quality of life, why not? If it can help, great. And if it doesn't, well, at least you know then, you know. So I think it's important to try this option before going down the road of, like, down the opioid road. Thank you, and I agree. Thank you both for being here today on the Pain-Free Zone. I am your host, Nisi Edwards. I want everyone to share this episode with your family and friends because this is information that's going to help them improve their quality of life. Thank you. Mm-hmm.